Welcome to Sober Solutions. We are a weekly recovery podcast not affiliated with any particular 12-step or recovery program. However, you may hear us mention them. My name is Jason, and I'm an alcoholic and addict. My name is Chris, and I'm an alcoholic and addict. My name is Ben. I'm an alcoholic and addict. And welcome back to Sober Solutions Podcast. Tonight is episode 47, and I'm very excited to have our guest host tonight, Charles W. from New York City. Hey, Charles, how you doing? Hey, Jason, I am doing awesome. Thanks. How are you? I'm doing really well. It's so great to have you on the show tonight. Um, you know, I, I met Charles uh, back in the recovery rooms in New York City, um, and we've just kept in touch uh, mostly during over social media, um, which I think is a is a bonus. Um, and I'm very excited for you to tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. Um, and our, I know our topic tonight is around building emotional resilience. So I'm very excited to talk a little bit about that this evening. But let's get started with, you know, telling our viewers a little bit uh, about who you are. Sure, sure. Well, my sobriety date is October 8th of 2004. So coming up this October um, will be 18 years. And in different rooms, different support system groups, a lot of people were sort of programmed or taught to say, you know, I'm coming out, I'll have 18 years, God willing, right? God is always willing. Your higher power universe is always willing. But the big question is, are you? So I don't say that anymore because I know that my higher power, my, my connection to the divine is always willing. So I believe that with all the spiritual muscles that I've built over the 17 and a half years, and emo- which also leads to emotional resilience, allows me to feel confident and secure and to have a solid and stable recovery. That didn't happen until I got to about eight, nine years of sobriety, eight or nine. Um, I'm originally from the Chicago area, suburb on the north side. I'm the youngest of four kids by seven, 10, and 12 years. So my three siblings are much older. And it just so happened that I was introduced to marijuana and hash at around age of eight years old. And so I learned at a very young age how to get out of myself. And I liked it Um, because it also helped to cover up the already present feeling of something is wrong with me that that began around five or six years old. And those feelings were shoved into my little boy consciousness by the church that I was raised in, you know, by this vengeful punishing God that I was told about and, uh, and all that, that I now I'm so grateful through the steps I've been able to really transcend and heal all of that. But being subjected to drugs and then alcohol at a really young age. Um, I mean, you don't, you don't know that it's not supposed to be that way, right? You just, you don't have any idea. Now, both of my parents are originally from Alabama. And so check this out. I did actually learn early on as a kid that my mom's dad got sober in Alcoholics Anonymous in 1947 in Birmingham, Alabama. 
and he passed away as a sober man in the 70s. And this was back in the day when they were having these national conferences with, with you know, Bill W. and Dr. Bob, and, and he would be there at, at some of them. And so he, you know, I'm so proud, you know, and, 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 and humbled that I get to carry that torch as well, the sober torch that my grandfather carried, um, you know, because he really showed up and really did a lot of service. So going back to the north side of Chicago, where Charlie was a wounded little boy with a whole lot of hurt that he was carrying around, chubby, but really talented, shy and quiet little kid, bullied a lot, turned to food and isolation as a form of self-protection. I remember coming home, being chased home from school in fourth grade, fifth grade. And my instruction was when I, I was a latchkey kid, I opened up the door, got inside, and my instruction was call mom at work to let her know that I got home. And I called her at work and never ever had the thought that it would be okay for me to speak my truth to her or ask her, hey, mom, mommy, why, why am I getting chased home from school? Why did I get pushed into the lockers again today? And so I held everything inside my whole life. So fast forward from age nine to 39, <laughs> I was in my third Broadway show. I was on an underwear billboard, jockey underwear billboard in Times Square representing the Scarlet Pimpernel I mean, it was, you know, I was doing the thing that I moved to New York to do. But the thing is, I was still that wounded little child on the inside. Even in the more success I achieved, the more pressure I felt. And then 9-11 happened. And I lived down in the West Village at the time of 9-11 and witnessed the second tower collapse through my bedroom window. And the only way that I could deal with that trauma was to act out with as much alcohol and narcotics as I could find and ultimately ended up moving to Miami Beach where I bottomed out and started going to meetings in September of 2003. I had three different sponsors in the space of about nine months. And then I ended up with the sponsor that I stuck with. And so I remember sitting under the willow tree in his side yard and he's asking me, so, so Charles, tell me about like what's been going on these last, like, last nine months since you've been coming to the program. And when I told him that, you know, I'd relapse and I'd reach out to my sponsor, I'd relapse again and I'd go out to my sponsor, I'd pick up again and I'd reach out to my sponsor. And he's like, Charles, Charles, buddy, you're supposed to reach out to your sponsor before you pick up. You're supposed to call your sponsor if you're even, if you even have a twitch, if you even have an itch, if you even have a, you know, a passing thought of like, well, you know, I'm going to be going to Italy this fall. And you know, the red wine is really seductive or anything like that. That's the kind of stuff you share with your sponsor. But I didn't know that. I mean, maybe they said it in the rooms, but I was so twisted back then. And so I really, really needed a solid structure of support. And the rooms that I went to down in, at the Sobe Clubhouse in Miami Beach made all the difference in my life because it was there that my sponsor, Sam, 
and a few other people as well started to plant seeds in my mind that then manifested as emotional resilience. And then I call it also building spiritual muscles. So I went, Sam took me through the 12 steps in six months, sitting under the willow trees in the side yard. And I had my first sponsee when I had seven months of sobriety. And so I moved back to New York with a year and a half of sobriety and I've been here ever since. That's awesome. Um, you know, I, I really relate to that because I went through my steps in 90 days. I feel like I did them very thoroughly and I had my first sponsee at, at like I think six and a half months. And it's so um, awesome to hear you say that you did the kind of the same thing and you're coming up on 18 years. So that's absolutely amazing. You know, you, you mentioned emotional resilience. So what does that mean to you? To me, emotional resilience is a, the ability to navigate and go through the day-to-day -day experiences of life with a greater sense of confidence, security, a deep knowingness that all is well. Me freaking out is not going to solve anything. Me internally telling myself, you do know what a screw up you are, Charles, right? You know, me telling myself something like that, that doesn't happen anymore. But for the first year and a half of my sobriety, it did. It was like an echo that kept coming around. The emotional resilience is really leaning into faith. And now I'm not talking about like religious faith. I'm talking about faith in myself and faith that the divine creative energy of the universe, whatever it is you might want to call that, all with a capital A, is good, is loving, and will always be guiding me as long as I'm open. And so part of emotional resilience is honestly really learning how to take the cotton out of your, your ears and really listen and allow yourself to receive guidance. So how do you think you did that? Because for me, I totally relate to what you were saying before about holding stuff inside. And I've been struggling for the last couple weeks. I have a lot going on. I have a wonderful sponsor. He's a, he's a great guy. And I have been distancing myself a little bit because I'm moving. I know how busy his life is. I don't want to bother him. Like all of that stupid shit from when I was like, you know, 30 days sober, 60 days sober that would pop up in my head start showing up again. So how do you start to build that emotional resilience? Because for me, it was so hard to be able to trust another person to be able to talk to them. And I don't love to listen. I hate it. It's my least favorite quality. One thing you could do is don't say things like, I hate to listen. <laughs> Touche. Truthfully, by building emotional resilience is becoming more impeccable with your word. And that's not just the words that you speak out loud to others, but the words that you are repeating 
within yourself or speaking out loud and also sarcasm, using sarcasm. I used to be the most sarcastic guy because I thought I had this charming sarcastic wit as a, as a performer. And, but most of, you know, I realized eventually a few years into my sobriety that I was like digging myself a hole of sarcasm, thinking that I was just being funny. But what it was really doing was distancing myself from being authentic. And now being authentic is something that comes along with emotional resilience, resilience as well. So to answer your question, how do you do it? What are some of the things that I did? First of all, it's paying attention to the, some of the small things in your day to day. For instance, making your bed. I mean, literally, it sounds like a silly thing to pay attention to, but do you make your bed? There is a direct correlation between the tidiness of your thoughts and the tidiness of your environment. Now by environment, I'm talking about your apartment, your home, under your bed, your bathroom drawer, <laughs> your car, your backpack. If there's any of those places that you, you just kind of leave it alone and you don't want to go into, that's probably a, a representation of your thoughts as well. Kind of like a, like a haunted neighborhood. That's how I used to feel about my thoughts. It felt like it was a haunted neighborhood that I couldn't trust myself in with my own thoughts. And that's long gone. So one making, I mean, it's literally making your bed, eating a nice, healthy breakfast. For me, prayer is a big, I mean, I obviously it's love and step. And I was praying and praying and praying and praying. And my sponsor, Sam, did a really good job of training me in quotes to get down on my knees every night and just pray and just thank my higher power for another day sober. Because truthfully, I was taking so much for granted in my life. The career that I had, yes, I showed up for, and yes, I did a really good job because I, I honestly didn't have to struggle for performances, for jobs to show up. I took so much for granted. And learning to just say, thank you, thank you. Now, setting ourselves up for success in sobriety, there's so many tools that are provided in the steps of AA, in the, in the traditions, in, in the big book, in, in the fellowship of the groups. And there's a lot of other tools that I use that are maybe versions of things that might be programmed, but are also other stuff as well, such as I'd say for 15 years now, every single morning when I get up, while I'm still laying on my back, I put both hands on my heart chakra, you know, like right in the center of my chest. With my eyes closed, I just take a deep breath in through my nose. And on the exhale, I just say, dear God, guide my thoughts, guide my words, guide my actions today. Guide my thoughts, guide my words, guide my actions. Guide my thoughts, guide my words, guide my actions. 
and then I finish and I just let it roll. I don't do it for a particular number of times. And then I just take another deep breath and I say, on the exhale, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. That is part of rewiring the neurocircuitry of my brain. I can absolutely tell you that it works because if our thoughts, words, and actions are being guided, then I'm not in a space of like struggling or worrying about how I'm going to show up today or who I'm going to show up as, or am I going to be running late for stuff? Like 20 years ago, 25 years ago, I would just be an, I was a very poor steward of time. I was running late everywhere I went. And I can look back on it that I was like, I would be hypervigilant about other stuff, but I was always late. And I understand now that that's a form of theft when you're stealing time from others. It seems like a lot of these spiritual muscles that you're talking about are action-based. They're like, I saw a good documentary on um, Kobe Bryant the other day. Mm -hmm. He talks constantly about how he wasn't the best basketball player and how he just practiced, practiced, practiced. He woke up before everyone. He he, it was action and reaction. He did this and this happened, this, you know. And it seems like a lot of what you're talking about is being cognizant of the reactions that your actions have and putting healthy actions in place. And I don't want to put words in your mouth, but what we were discussing before was really interesting around the different tools in your toolbox and how to build those spiritual muscles. Mm -hmm. So... When you're early on in sobriety, we could, we have previously focused on people who are early in sobriety. How would you say that they can kind of start? You know, we talked about good methods. You talked about a lot of good things to do, but what would be a good point of, hey, this is what I'm going to start with? Show up. Show up in life. Show up for your sobriety. Now showing up, okay, then you say, well, what does that mean? Be kind, be of service when you can. Allow the process of getting and staying sober, allow it to be fun. Allow it to surprise you <laughs> at how, how, this this peeling back the layers of the onion you know that's part of also this emotional resilience because there's always more layers to pull back i mean this concept of peeling back the layers of the onion and then it oh it stinks inside of there sometimes right you know you got to deal with it you got to deal with what's under that layer so that you can feel it like so that i i had to peel back in early sobriety in my first couple of years, as I was peeling back the layers of the onion and I felt this pain coming up and I realized this is Charlie trying to give voice to the stuff that he'd been holding on to all his life. So for anybody else that anyone that is and is new, I mean, I would say showing up for yourself journal for sure. Like, 
do a gratitude journal. If you can do a just a, a simple gratitude journal of 10 things that you're grateful for each day, I mean, it'll take you a minute and a half for two. But like when you do it, bring an energy of enthusiasm to it. Don't do it. Don't have your, you know, your pretty little, you know, grat you know gratitude journal there. And then, oh, well, here's this assignment that Charles said I should do. And like, you know, because it's the energy that you bring makes all the difference in the world. Do a gratitude journal. For me, when I finally started getting into meditation, which honestly was about, oh, four or five years into sobriety, like, like, like seriously, like where I could say I actually had a meditation practice, you know, because you, I'm sure you guys have heard that, you know, when we pray, we're speaking, we're doing the speaking. And when we meditate, we're listening, we can be, re, we can be open to receive. And I was really good at doing all this, all the talking, you know, help me, help me, you know, on my knees and, you know, or, and then finally it was, thank you. It was, thank you. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much for the, for how my life is unfolding. I'm so grateful. And then being able to, to meditate. And a lot of people will say, I'm not good at meditating. Well, guess what? You've got to put in the reps when something feels unfamiliar like that. There's a rule of the mind that we can train ourselves to allow the unfamiliar to become familiar. So check this out, you guys. So like allowing the unfamiliar to become familiar. So Jason, like what is something that's been going on in the last couple of weeks, couple of months that is unfamiliar that you want to allow to become more familiar in how you go through your day? I think the biggest thing is the unfamiliar feeling of pure happiness. Mm -hmm. And the joy that I've been feeling and nothing has been going wrong. And I'm so used to that familiar feeling of chaos. And right now there's no chaos in my life. That's really good. That is really good. I'm sorry, keep going. That's really it. The feeling of just everything being right on track. And I'm happy. And you want that to become more familiar. Absolutely. So, okay, so check this out. So if on one side of the coin is making the unfamiliar, allowing the unfamiliar to become more familiar is on one side of the coin. On the other side of the coin is the opposite allowing what has been familiar to become unfamiliar. Now for me, that would be like, well, the place, some of the places I used to go, some of the people that I used to hang out with, allow them, allow that to become unfamiliar. Also how I used to use sarcasm, how I used to say something, use certain words, like anytime, like I used to say like, oh God, it's killing me to wait on the subway today. It's just, you know, like now I understand that our subconscious mind, which is the most powerful part of us that rules everything, doesn't know the difference between sarcasm and truth. Or like a snarky comment, like, oh, this is killing me or something like that. If we're saying 
something is killing me, our subconscious mind goes into fight, fight or flight. And that is where and how stuff like dis-ease or stress gets planted in, into our subconscious mind and into our bodies. So I never, ever talk like that. I have learned through early, like early on and not something else that, that, that anybody, especially newcomers can start to do is to pay more attention to the words that you're speaking out loud, but also internally to yourself. As we learn how to shift our inner dialogue, guess what happens? We learn how to shift our outer dialogue. And then guess what happens? We attract to us greater opportunities, circumstances that are more fun, greater abundance, peace of mind, based upon the higher vibration that we're emanating from this an internal conversation that is more more loving instead of punishing i've known men and women over the years that got didn't get sober till they were 60 right and i'm like that's congratulations oh my god or 65 or even 70. not everybody but just a couple of people that i've known would then beat themselves up that they wasted 40 years of their life that they should have done it 40 years sooner and then carried that shame into the rooms and then became brittle, emotionally brittle, which is the opposite of emotional resilience. Emotional resilience has a flexibility and a flow to it instead of being brittle. It's interesting you say that because I was at a meeting last night and I shared and a, a gentleman came up to me afterwards and he said, man, I wish I had got this at your age. I didn't get this until I was, I think he said like 50 or 55. And, you know, I just wish I got it when I was younger. And so my immediate reaction to that was, well, you got it, right? You, you're here now, you have X number of years of, of sobriety and you got it. It's not when you got it, it's the fact that you did. So I, I find that very interesting. You also mentioned the tie to training. You know, I, I've been on this fitness journey and I have to go to the gym. I have to do my cardio. I have to eat healthy and building this emotional resilience through building spiritual muscle takes practice and takes some level of coaching. And I know you started a business called Divine Spark Coaching. So can you just tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. Well, so yes, first of all, to what you said, Jason, about the discipline and the training. I mean, I mean, if when you think about it, I mean, going going to a twelve step program and you know, getting and staying in recovery, you are being trained. You know, and it's called a twelve step what program because we all need to be reprogrammed. You know, so yeah. So it was about five years ago I formed Divine Spark Coaching which is a life coaching and hypnotherapy business. Also, I'm, I'm actually currently right now in the process of writing my, my first book. And I just received this calling. It really was a calling from the universe five years ago or so that not only 
am I a performer and a singer and a musician? That, and I will always be that. And when I, that, that is a calling for me, now I have another calling as a, co a life coach and as the hypno, you know, certified hyp uh, hypnotherapist and um, craniosacral work, you know, and I use stones and crystals to do energy healing with people. And, you know, so I'm doing, I'm going to be starting to do online workshops actually this month. I just did one for, as a guest teacher for a, a coaching colleague of mine. And it's a, it's a workshop that actually that I did last summer, a version of what I did, did last summer at the Gay Sober Men event at the Weston Hotel during Pride last year. Um, and so, but I have a version of it that is called, it's called my Divine Flow Workshop. It's like about a 90, 90 minute workshop, maybe a little bit longer. And it's all about really achieving a, an energetic flow in our bodies through the the energy uh, the energy centers of the seven chakras, and so I'm quite advanced in my trainings and certifications in that. In fact, I just completed a certificate two certifications with Deepak Chopra and his team last week. Um, that's my latest thing. That's great. My question was going to be on how Divine Spark differs from an actual AA program, but I think you've hit the nail on the head. Um, can you expand? I honestly don't know too much about hypnotherapy. I know it deals with the mind and body. Can you expand on that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So five years ago, my awareness of what hypnotherapy was, was the movie Get Out. Or like on the old Phil Donahue show, I remember like seeing some stage hypnotist hypnotizing a guy and he's standing on a chair barking like a dog. That's stage hypnosis. That's a totally, totally different thing. Therapeutic hypnotherapy is something that, like when I am preparing to work with a client, um, we have already had a consultation about what's going on in their lives, in their life. What are they desiring to shift? Sometimes it's weight. Sometimes it's smoking. Sometimes it's drinking. Sometimes it's just all these different symptoms that are being manifested through stress. And so during the consultation process, I really, really laser in on what's going on behind the scenes in the subconscious mind. Because the subconscious mind is like these invisible puppet strings that got stuck into us at random points in our lives. And there, there's this invisible puppet master looming up above us, pulling all the strings, but nobody knows that they're actually, that this invisible puppet master is there, right? So the invisible puppet master is pulling the invisible puppet strings and making you dance your whole life. And then you're like, oh, I can do, I can do this. But then it starts to have consequences, sometimes painful, really deadly consequences. And that's where mine ended up just right around the time when I was 40. So what hypnotherapy does is, is that it starts to be able to snip those invisible puppet strings in the subconscious mind by this two hour, when we actually do the rapid transformational hypnotherapy session, it's sometimes about two hours long. And during at the end of that session, while the client is still under hypnosis, I create 
a customized audio recording for them that I then label, email to them after the session. And then the client's commitment is to use this recording at least once a day, letting it wash over them, kind of like a meditation, to continue to rewire the subconscious mind, snipping those invisible puppet strings so that they no longer have power. And then my clients that I'm also doing coaching with, then I'm able to customize and curate a program just for them on the conscious level. So there's support on the subconscious level with the hypnotherapy and on this conscious level with the coaching. As you guys know, I mean, the subconscious patterns will fight for their lives no matter what. I mean, even with an amazing hypnotherapy session, you know, which can really, really be a game changer. Then we go about the rest of our lives and we're not in hypnosis. We're, you know, you're not sitting across from me or on the Zoom screen with me, you know, hearing my voice guiding you in hypnosis. You're out living your life. So you have the recording to support you. So with the coaching, you're provided with more tools. I was just about to make a sarcastic comment, say I would need more than two hours there. But then I was thinking about you saying that you don't use sarcasm previously. So now I'm all over. <laughs> well, were you being sarcastic or were you just telling yourself the truth? I don't know. Because then maybe, maybe all that would mean is that you need more than one session. That's probably true. Because most of the time I actually don't really do just individual sessions. Most usually a three pack is the minimum way to go. And that three sessions is kind of spread out over three, four or five months. Because you probably open up over time more and more yep. as well. Mm -hmm. yeah. Exactly. Do you have most of your clients as, you know, you mentioned smoking, uh, anger management, alcoholics. Is there a subset that you really focus on or it, does it, I guess, work in conjunction with other programs as well? Um, so with you, are you talking about hypnotherapy specifically or the no, just Divine Spark. So I guess before I thought Divine Spark was a, in addition to like a AA, NA, getting sober. But as you're talking further, I don't think that's the case. Right? No, 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 no. It's totally separate. Yeah. So what I would say to that is that the process is different for everybody. Five years ago, I had to lovingly remind myself and sometimes sternly remind myself that when I'm going into an AA meeting, take off the coaching hat. I'm not a coach when I'm in an AA meeting. I'm another fellow, right? So when I was in the meeting today, I'm not wearing my coaching hat. But like with, with you guys tonight, I kind of have both of them on. <laughs> it's like I've got my fellowship hat and my coaching hat. So I can kind of, I can talk both ways. But everybody that shows up, even just for a consultation with me, everybody shows up with something different going on. But in the last two and a half years, especially the last two years of the pandemic, I would say 90% of the people that, that I have a consultation with and that I end up working with are really, really struggling with some manifestation of anxiety and stress. And the manifestations of though the stress and anxiety are different for everybody. Awesome, Charles. The last thing that I'll close on is something that you started with, the saying, God willing. And 
God's always willing. Am yep. I? And I've said that to myself. I've said that to my sponsees. I've said that to these guys. And I heard that in a meeting years and years and years and years ago. And I, it might've been you who said it actually, but I heard it and I was like, wow, that makes so much sense. That makes so much sense because for me, I have to be willing to do whatever it takes for my recovery because I can use my higher power, which I call God, that is energy. And I can use that higher power to help me take the action, but I'm the one who needs to take the action in my own recovery. So that really, really resonated with me. And I think that the reason why I'm sober today is because I capitalized on building those spiritual muscles. You, you were talking about the, the sarcasm and, and the self-talk, you know, how do I talk to myself? And over the last couple of weeks, my partner has been saying to me, stop talking so bad to yourself. And I, I didn't realize it until he mentioned it. So I shared with you the first thing in the morning thing, right? The dear God, guide my thoughts, guide my words, guide my actions today. So, the, and this is something that a brand newcomer can do anytime. Even if you're sitting in a meeting and you just happen to notice you're feeling frustrated or you're feeling anxious or you're feel, you know, you're feeling, you're in your feelings, right? I put my hand, put one or both hands on my heart chakra and I just internally, or if you want to, you can say this out loud too, if nobody else is around. I take a deep breath in and I say, out of my head, into my heart. Out of my head, into my heart. And I just let that roll out of my head, into my heart, out of my head, into my heart. As in breathe, out of my head, into my heart. Because where is all the wonkiness going on? Where is all the stress? It's in the head. And where is the solution? Where is the expansion going to reside? deeply where is our divine spark in our hearts that is the presence that is the location of the of the divine spark and do you do you guys all know and everybody that's listening to this as well do you know that you have a divine spark because you do newcomers have a divine spark too it's just covered over with a whole lot of crap that needs to be purged and cleansed and, and, you know, loved on. It really just needs more love. I love that. And whether our listeners have 24 hours or 24 years, I think that those tips are perfect for using that spiritual muscle to build that emotional resilience to keep mm -hmm. you another day sober. So Charles, thank you so much for joining us tonight. I really, really appreciate it. And it was so great seeing you. As always, each and every one of our episodes is dedicated to the still sick and suffering alcoholic and addict, especially the individual who's going to pick up for the first time tonight. Have a great night, guys. Have a great night. Thank you. We appreciate your liking and subscribing to our podcast. If you liked what you heard today and would like to support our podcast, Feel free to Venmo a dollar to our virtual basket at Sober Solutions Podcast. We want to hear from you too. If you have a comment, question, topic, or would like to come on the show, 
find us on Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube at Sober Solutions Podcast. Or you can shoot us an email to SoberSolutionsPodcast at gmail.com. Find us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And if you like what you've heard, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review the show.